Welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B Podcast. Kyle here back with Tom and Ed. Man, the Grammys happened, and I know you guys are fired up. The Grammys happened. I didn't watch them, but they happened. (laughs) No comment. Tom, Tom, before we even get to the results, because I know that's what people want to hear about, can we dive deep into... What was the bigger conversation about all of this? And shout out to our boy Harvey Mason Jr., good friend of the site, who was doing damage control in the media all of last week and this week. But apparently the Grammys are rigged. Did we know this? You don't say. <laughs> I, I pictured Harvey Mason as like some guy on the Titanic trying to patch up the hole while the whole ship was going down. It's just... It's yes, he's screaming, everything is fine. Have a good time on the <laughs> boat. Like, no, you're all going to die. And, and you know, no oh, beef to my boy. Like, Harvey's great. We've had him on the podcast before. Great dude. I know he's trying to do the Lord's work. And I was actually very excited to hear that he had a prominent role with the um, Grammys now. But good Lord. Kyle, before I go into my spiel, kind of like enlighten everyone if they missed it. Some of these allegations that went down. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but hit on with it again. Well, the the, the CEO or the chairman of the Grammy committee recently um, left the Academy, not, you know, by choice. She had filed a, uh, an assault complaint and they put her on, like, administrative leave and then they let her go. And then she, like, sued them and put them on blast and said that it's a boys club it's a gentleman's club. They take money. They payola. The Grammys are rigged. There is a bias against black folks who are nominated, and the white guys always win. So a lot of things that we've all speculated on, and quite honestly probably already knew just based off the results that we've seen over the last couple of years. But it was actually quite eye-opening to hear. So what are your guys' thoughts on thoughts on this because we go through the grammys every year we talk about who the winners are and who they should be and a lot of times it doesn't match up and most of the times the albums that we feel should have won aren't even nominated exactly um i will go back i don't know if i've told this story before but this happened when was cardi b thing i guess that was year before last i can't remember whenever she was part of the grammys I had a conversation on social media with a woman whose name, I I can't reveal her name, I can't even remember her name. I was doing what I do, y'all know what I do, fuss about stuff. That's That's why I am put on this earth. And this woman spoke up and said that she was a voting member of the Grammys. And she didn't appreciate that I was demeaning the Grammys by saying that at the time um, that Cardi B should not have been nominated. And the only reason she was nominated was because of the hype that she had around her career, not the quality of the music. And she went on to say how incorrect that is and how legit the Grammys actually are as far as selection process. I countered and said, well, since you vote on them, what do you think of, I named whatever albums came out that year that I thought were better than Cardi's album. The woman essentially said without saying, because of course she didn't admit it, but said without saying that she hadn't heard those albums. So if I point was, how can you, you're, you're proving my point because you are supporting the albums that 
you've heard of. These artists are the ones you've heard of, but you can't have a correct knowledge of the genre if you haven't if there are artists in the genre releasing music that I'm saying is better than Cardi that you haven't heard, how can you confirm that Cardi is better than them only because I've heard her name and I haven't heard Freddie Gibbs or whoever it was? And like later you're proving my point and it shows that the voting process in this thing is deeply flawed if you're just looking at a list of names and that's the name you're familiar with, so therefore that name must be better. And she just kind of fell into the trap of, well, we're still a great organization. I'm like, look, just that conversation alone showed me how this whole thing is flawed. So taking away all of the allegations and payola and whether or not someone was getting sexually assaulted or whatever else. If I'm talking to a voting member who are voting on at this point, the best rap albums, and you aren't even have a knowledgeable working knowledge of the rap albums that came out that year, why on earth would I think any of this stuff is credible and legit? That's why I get so annoyed every year when these nominations come out and people lose their minds on Twitter that, oh, where is Ari Lennox? And oh, where is Rashawn Patterson? And, and whoever else. People that probably do deserve to be there, but they aren't there. Because unfortunately, not everybody, because, you know, we have friends there, but some people who are voting on this thing have no idea the artists that they're voting on. This this woman didn't, and she's voting on the rap stuff. How are you voting on the rap stuff and you don't even know rappers? God. Wow. You don't have to know much about the Grammys to know it's biased. Because, look, we talk about every year, there's no independent artist really ever nominated. I mean... There's right. a handful, some darlings like PJ Morton, who just also happens to be part of Maroon 5. There's Layla Hathaway, who also just happens to be the daughter of an RB legend. I mean, it's it's the same format every time around. And, you know, it's just like the freaking Obama's playlist when that came out. You know, I don't believe any of what that list is saying is what they actually listen to, but more so they got paid a good amount of money from major labels to get those names on that list. I mean, that's just how it works. You know, I'm not really it's mad at it anymore, just knowing how it is. But, hey, what are you going to do? That's the Grammys, you know. And then what really disappointed me, Ed, though, was, was Diddy went on this rant last week. I don't know if you heard that story, talking about, oh, they don't they don't um, give enough recognition to, to rappers, allow them to win enough awards. It just really showed me that the elite, you know, to the elite in, in the music world, all this stuff really matters, the Grammys, and that the little people – who never get nominated, it's, it's like a totally different game, you know? It's like the, the elite expect to win every time, and then others don't even get any recognition, no matter what happens. So it's like a, it, something needs to change. It probably never will, but, man, it's, it's just I can't support it ever again. It's, it's, I mean, what you're saying just proves my point. Like, this, it's just a game between recognizable names. That year that, I will always go to this, that year that Macklemore beat Kendrick Lamar of course, in 2020, that sounds insane. But 2013 or so, Macklemore was a bigger artist than Kendrick. Kendrick hadn't blown up yet. So, of course, they voted him because he's the recognizable name. Now, this year, well, now, like in years past, we would know that now that he's the biggest name. There's no way he would lose because they're voting on recognizable names and not quality music. That's just how 
the voting process has gone down. And to Diddy's point, I don't know, Blair. I come from an era where rap artists didn't even go to the Grammys because they were like, this doesn't represent me. I don't care. Like people, when they would rap categories, wouldn't even get announced because they have one on there. So that's another reason I have a little sympathy, though, for some artists who will get on social media and whine and cry and scream and holler and kick and scream that, oh, I didn't get nominated. Oh, I'm quitting the game. Player, there's the Nazis and Biggies and and just legends of the game who have never touched a Grammy. And they are recognizable legends. Don't put your worth in these raggedy little statues from people who don't even realize the power of your music. You need to be making classic music that will last and will touch your fan base. The greatest songs in R&B history sold nothing. The songs that y'all playing at the cookout before I let go, Frankie B, he that thing may have went gold maybe. I don't see my man Donny Hathaway drowning in platinum plaques. But he's a legend because his music stood the test of time. He didn't need a Grammy to tell him that. I just wish that artists recognize more that your legacy belongs in that and not little trinkets and stuff. Macklemore got a bunch. I haven't heard. I've talked about him more this podcast than y'all have all year. <laughs> well, Diddy did say one thing that was quite compelling in his statement. He said... Basically, the Grammys, you guys have 365 days to turn this around and to do things the right way. So what that means to me, guys, is that it can either go two ways. One, nothing changes and the system is how it is. Or B, they'll do a complete overhaul and every award will be won by black artists. Which means, guys, my theory is correct. Usher will make the greatest comeback next year. Stay tuned. Oh, my God. You and this Usher. I hope you're not so, holding out hope for the Ella May song to get something. If you're really paying attention to these award shows, it's the same thing with the Soul Train Awards. They nominate the biggest artists because they want the biggest artists to promote the show for them. So if you were exactly no Sean Patterson, I mean, we love Sean Patterson, but I mean, his name is not going to bring a lot of weight to get people to watch the Grammys. That's just the way it is. So you got to pick the biggest names every single year. It's just the way it works. And another factor that we forget about is that the Grammys is also essentially an application process. There's, it's, I mean, there is a small amount of campaigning that goes along with it. And I'm not talking about the shady payola type stuff, but like you have to submit, you have to get your stuff in there. I don't know what Rasan or, or Snow Allegro or any of those folks did, but I, even though I felt like they should get some love because they had some of the better work of 2019. Did they go through the process? I don't know. So a lot of that is on the artist too. So again, we don't know. It's it's kind of a murky, shady process, but I just feel like these artists need to stop putting so much stock into something. Like Kyle said, next year, it could be like the year when the Oscars, when they did an Oscar so white hashtag thing, and then next year all the black folks won, and then the next year it went back to normal. Like that's what I would expect to happen. So they might throw you a bone to shut you up, but stop putting your worth in these little gold trophies. <laughs> yep. But, guys, I'm still trying to figure out how Maya got nominated for a Grammy for Smooth Jones that one year. That was crazy. Oh, she turned in her paperwork early. It's like when you file your taxes early so you can get your tax return. That's what Maya did. She was like, I'm getting my nomination. <laughs> 
So, guys, we got a couple of new albums that came out this week. Unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, a lot of R&B projects did come out. So, we didn't really get a chance to review everything. So, stay tuned next week for reviews on Luke James, Selena Johnson, and whoever else comes out next week. But, Ed, let's start out with Kay Michelle. Did an interview with her. I did an interview with her a couple of weeks ago now, and she spoke very candidly and open about the process of making this album. It was very tough for her to do so after leaving Atlantic because she felt like she had to rediscover her creativity. And honestly, she didn't even want to do this album. She wanted to go straight into the country album. So this may potentially be the last K. Michelle album. Your thoughts on this album? Mm, I thought it wasn't bad. Go to soulandstereo.com. Check it out. I talk a lot about the exchange she had on social media. If you remember a few weeks ago where she came out and said... Hey, this new music is lullaby. It's straight up boring. And your boy Tank had to come out of nowhere and nobody asked him to talk about, oh, you're picking on the stuff. These old artists need to stop picking on these young artists. Like, he isn't rubbing Ben Gay on his joints. Like, dude, you're older than everybody. Talking <laughs> about people picking on young artists. Sit down. Anyway, you go check out my review for more rants on Tank. But. I thought the album was pretty solid. The thing about K. Michelle is that she never puts out a garbage album, but a lot of her albums are just kind of like middle of the road. And that's not bad. There's a consistency there, but there's nothing that makes it hit that next level. The first half of the album I thought was pretty good. The woman knows how to write a song because it's kind of hilarious to listen to her put these dudes in their place. But the second half, it gets a little bit more predictable she had a song super hood or something it was just kind of like uh this is a, a hood thug love type song whatever but as a if you're a k michelle fan i think there's a lot to love here but as an overall project it's fine i would like to see her kind of experiment and try something new maybe this country album will reinvigorate her a little bit but for what it is it's not bad just not great tom if this were K. Michelle's last R&B album and she moves on to do country al- uh, country music, what do you think K. Michelle's legacy is in R&B? She had a pretty solid decade from 2010 onwards, was pretty much one of the bigger names in R&B, has delivered some solid albums, some great songs. BSOP is still one of our favorites. What's her legacy for this generation? I still think the most interesting and intriguing thing about K. Michelle is how she made it this far. I mean... If you remember, she was signed, originally, she was handpicked by R. Kelly and gained no traction, you know, doing more of a traditional-sounding R&B. And then she used reality TV to really make a name for herself. And, and, you know, her behavior was a bit outlandish at times, over the top, but it got people to buy into it, got people interested. Um, and, yeah, along the way, she's delivered some great music. You know, it's it's just sad that, she had to go to that length to really get people to pay attention because she was always capable of doing it. But really, that's the whole, you know, if you look at the 2010s decade, reality TV was really what got a lot of people their start. You know, not just in music, but it got a lot of people's attention all, all across the board. So, you know, Kay Michelle will be an interesting one to look back on. She was definitely one of the bigger names of the 2010s in R&B. But I can't even say she had a classic album. So, like, she's going to be an interesting one that, to, you know, look back on when all is said and done. Yeah, because I'll say she's probably one of the more t- vocally talented 
artist from that generation. Although she seemed to be using a lot of auto tune on this album. I don't know if it was just me, Ed, but I heard a lot of oh, auto tune no, going on. Oh, no, I noticed it. Especially yeah, it was, it was kind of annoying. the second song. Yeah, it was unnecessary. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I felt like kind of held this album back a little bit. I, again, she was trying a few new things, didn't quite work because with the. Her, her voice is very strong and it doesn't need that type of pitch on it. It makes it really kind of grating. So I didn't appreciate that that much. But again, there's a lot. I don't want to sound like I'm dissing it because it's a solid album. It's just some things that could have been tweaked to help it get to the next level. Didn't quite get there, but not a bad project overall. Yeah, and I think realistically, and this may sound like hate, but it's not actually hate. But with her moving on to country music, I don't think we've seen the last of R and B K Michelle. I have no idea no, how the country how the countryside is gonna feel about her going there. I think the music will be fine, but I don't think we've seen the last. I, I don't see the country community being very accepting of her going to that route. Well, let me tell you about that country they they got all pissed off about what's that little boy, that little Nas X boy. So I could see them getting whiny about this too. But uh, who knows? Maybe she can find a role there. I think that if this is something she's passionate about, why not? She's done four or five R&B albums. I'm never mad at an artist that tries to spread their wings a little bit. You want to do that and come back? I think R&B will be definitely waiting for her because, I mean, ain't too many other folks we got out here. So she'll be welcome back if she decides to do that. Listen, guys, yeah. <laughs> it's just like when Music Soul Child left Music Soul Child and did The Hustle and Purple Wonder Love, and that was the same thing. Passion Project. Right. You got to do it. Yep, this is true. Uh, another album that came out this week, not even an album, it's an EP, Kevin Ross, Audacity. It was like six or seven tracks, and guys, can I speak on this really quickly? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to hear it. So, as you guys know... The Awakening, his last album, his debut album, I think we all really enjoyed that project. It was very traditional R&B, very grown R&B almost, but had a lot of great elements, live instrumentations, great vocals, great songwriting. I think this project for me, and I still have to really listen to it, but it was a lot different. I mean, we have things called Love, which I really love that single, but the rest of it was a little more, I don't think trendy is the right word. It's more experimental. And I know that word scares hmm. you, Tom. But I think it was a pretty cool listen. You're afraid of the word experimental. So, no, I like experimental better than trendy. Let's get that straight. <laughs> That's, That's true. true. <laughs> um, but he released this in different segments. So this is only volume one. I think there's a volume two coming out later in the year, Tom. Is this a smart decision for Kevin Ross? Well, he's on his own label. You know, he owns his own label now. Um, let me just say, Kevin Ross is one of the biggest gentlemen I've ever met in R&B since I've been doing this. Man, mm. he's such a nice kid. He even took our feedback on one of his singles on his debut, and I think that's why he released it as a single. We don't know that for sure, right, Kyle? Yeah, we don't. But uh, on that note, Jonte Austin also released uh, Love Culture, as his new single, and uh, we tweeted about that song, too, when it came out. So I'm taking credit for that one, too. Thank you. <laughs> but, let me, but let me get back to, to Kevin Ross. I mean, personally, I never felt like albums in, this, in 2020, I mean, albums, I don't think they work anymore. 
so I'm more comfortable with artists releasing shorter length EPs, you know, multiple EPs, you know, leave, you know, combining to be a full project. I personally like that better. I mean, Miguel started that trend years ago when he did like three parts or whatever. What was that? That Kaleidoscope Dreams. Yeah, but yep. the project was called like it was Art Deco something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, I felt since then that that was the better way to go people don't have the attention span to hear a full-length album and you know in this time period so personally i like it um it's gonna be as tough as an independent artist for kevin ross although he's super talented it's just tough to get exposure but man we got his back all the way absolutely the only thing i'll complain about with the album is that every song is like three minutes long so from my interview with kevin which you guys can read on the website now. He does acknowledge that the music industry has changed. And I think his approach to releasing music is an adaptation of what's going on in the industry. So he knows he needs the songs to be a little shorter, maybe take out the bridge. And to me, guys, I understand it from a business standpoint. But as a music fan, I just don't think it's very cool. Just drop the record how it should be dropped. Don't think about the numbers and the analytics. But hey, that's the old me talking. I don't know. I I I had someone. I can't remember what I reviewed, but I re I reviewed something in the past couple of weeks, and there was some bozo on Twitter. You can find me at et Bowser and get blocked too. But someone was fussing. They were taking account to something that I said that was like it may have been the Eminem album. I can't remember what it was, but there's this mindset that. And whoever it was is someone who works in the industry. And that's why he knew what he was talking about. And I didn't. Because there has been a directive that has come down that songs have to be three minutes or less. And it cannot be anymore. And it's not 1995. And you're not going to get a five-minute song anymore because it doesn't work for streaming. But then you turn around and you get these albums that are all like 20 and 25-song albums. So... People want more content, but shorter songs. Okay, if that's what your analysts are telling you. But when it comes down to judging whether this is a fulfilling song or not, it's just not. Like, I don't care what the analytics say or what the charts and numbers say. There's a reason why a lot of these songs that are coming out in the past three or four years disappear in, a, you know, in like two or three weeks. Because they, it's not enough meat beyond the chorus to mean anything. Even the biggest songs of the year, people can recite the chorus. They can't recite the lyrics. There are tons I can hear now from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I can recite the whole song once I hear the beat drop. But audiences aren't conditioned to do that because they're just conditioned to know the hook. That's it. And I think that's why we aren't getting these classic albums anymore. I don't care if that's the way that the analytics say it's going. That's cool for a short-term fix. But you ain't going to see the classics anymore if this is the way we're going. Can I play Devil's Advocate, Kyle, real quick? Yep. Don't you always? I don't know Kevin Ross's financial situation, right? But man, an independent Uh artist, they can't take chances. They need their album to be a success or else I mean, not to sound rude, but they might have to go get a day job at, you know, Trader Joe's or whatever. You know, like that's just the reality of the situation. People want to be a musician for a living. And, you know, honestly, 
great music has come from experimenting and, and going against the grain, but it, it really is a risk still. So for Kevin Ross, I mean, I can't blame the guy. You know, super talented artist is, is capable of doing amazing things, but man, it must be tough to balance, you know, doing what you love and trying to be relevant. It's always been tough. Yeah, yeah no question. And, and to and to be honest, that's always been the trickiness. And that's why we act like that, like, oh, being trendy is a new thing. Being trendy, people were saying that, like, as long as I've been listening to music. There's always been trends that have been running to the ground. Like, that's just how the game goes. And you're right. You can be experimental and take a risk because it's your music. Or you can do what works because... That's what the numbers say and the analytics say and the label says and blah, 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 and go with what's safe and comfortable. That's cool. I ain't even hating on Kevin for that. However, I do think that at the end of the day, the expense is we aren't getting lasting songs anymore. We're just getting songs that pop for the moment. So if that's what you want, a short-term fix, trend on Twitter for a half a day, great. But if you're looking for music that's going to last longer than a month, I don't know. Sorry to you. Mm, good point, guys. Now, can we get into something I thought was very interesting here? A Robin Thicke tweet. Or it wasn't even by Robin Thicke, but it was about Robin Thicke. Can I get into this tweet really quickly? Because I thought it was oh, hilarious. Oh, you can. I've been waiting for this discussion since last week, Kyle. And my apologies for not bringing it up earlier. But someone wrote, R&B died when Robin Thicke made a whole album to get his ex-wife back, and it didn't work. That's the whole point of R&B. Shake my head. Thoughts? What? Which is actually a very funny tweet. So, I mean, it's a joke, y'all. It's a joke. As a joke, it's funny. Like, it's funny. Like, what? what? I mean, as I said on the Soul and Stereo Cypher on Facebook, I mean, also, didn't help that album was garbage. Like, y'all leaving that part out. But... You know, it's just, why, listen, if you were Paula and you had been put off and done wrong all these years and then my man makes a whole album to win me back and the album garbage, I'm definitely not coming back. Give me a classic. Wow. So. <laughs> it's, it's ignoring the fact of what he even did to put himself in that situation. I mean, come on. Yeah, <laughs> but a lot of interesting things came out of this conversation, Tom. Once we posted about that, there was a user on Instagram or a person on Instagram that said something along the lines of R&B can't die at the hands of a white guy. And, you know, we don't have to get all racial about this. And I think that's a conversation for another time. But people really downplay Robin Thicke's contributions to the genre. Well, oh, yeah. well, Ed, let me just first say, I, I'm still baffled that some, a person could believe that one person alone could kill off a whole genre. I mean, how is that even into someone's mind? Because they don't have one. Now, here's my issue. This is why I have been mad ever since they, ever since y'all went woke, y'all just went to sleep. Because you have completely lost your mind. Anybody who can write off Robin Thicke, and not just Robin Thicke. First, let me let me back it up. Let me back it up because I want let me give a musical history lesson because I know that y'all gonna come at me. So go to Twitter, et Bowser, holler at me. Don't holler at my boys. Holler at me because this is me saying this. 
When it comes to R&B, it has been categorized as black music. And there is truth to that. Because that has always been a genre of music that's been predominantly black. It has been created by black sounds and has a black experience. And being a black person in America, you know that when, I mean, Outkast and Lil Wayne made a whole song about this. When it comes to the creation of music, and really anything, any trend, it gets hot and then it's co-opted by white America and they take it away. So I can understand why there is some derision when we see quote-unquote outsiders in our genre. However, to dismiss the the contributions of, of the John B's and the Tina Marie's and the Justin Timberlake's and the Amy Winehouse's and I mean even today when you're talking about the Dailies and my boys Lipstick Gypsy and that crew they are part of the fabric of R&B. They helped build it to erase their contributions and say that they don't matter. They aren't part of this. They're pop. Whatever. You're dead doing more detriment to this. There's a difference between being a contributor to the genre and being an appropriator. An appropriator, as I've said before, is the Miley Cyrus or somebody who is an outsider who was never down with the culture. Then you suddenly put it on like a costume to sell some records and twerk and put a fake grill in. Then you take it off and say, oh, I've grown up. I've moved beyond that. No, you appropriated. You did that for sales. But for artists who aren't black, who are absolute legends in this game and help move the genre forward, they should be celebrated. And they should not be dismissed just because of their skin color. Because you know what that sounds like to me? Sounds like racist. And that is what you're doing. So stop coming at my people who are doing good things in this genre and helping to keep it alive. Because let's be real, there's some black folks that's helping to tear this genre down too. So I'm here for quality music, not what color you are. Well, Ed, you, you made an interesting point because obviously rhythm and blues music was created in the, you know, the African-American culture. However, it has evolved into something much greater. It's a global phenomenon to the point where People all over the world love R&B music, and people all over the world create R&B music, no matter what skin color you are. So to me, I look at R&B music as something that has grown into some, a global phenomenon, not just something that's appreciated in African-American culture, but something that's appreciated all over the world. So to me, to take away, you know, for example, from a white artist, Robin Thicke, from making R&B and saying he's not, you know, it's not the same, that's, why, that's when I have a problem with it. Well, before yeah. I jump, I'm about to jump back in. Do you want to jump in, Kyle, before I jump in? Um, no, not really. I mean, ultimately, I just want people to acknowledge the talent and not necessarily the skin color. I think if we do that, then we can hold everyone accountable because I think you're right. There are a lot of artists who are black who, you know, have not put out good music. And I don't think we should prefer them based on skin color over a Robin Thicke who, you know... I think, and this is kind of funny, everyone thinks that Robin Thicke is a pop artist, but he was only a pop artist for like a very small amount of time after Blurred Lines when the label pushed him to pop. But Robin Thicke did not make songs like Lost Without You, Sex Therapy, and that whole first album with the Jesus hair. He didn't do all of that to be called a pop artist. <laughs> Absolutely not. And what kills me is that the same people that are running around here saying this 
are the ones that a year ago were like, I didn't know Bobby Caldwell was white. He sounded black to me. Well, that sounds stupid to me because you're talking about a genre that you don't understand its history. Again, I will not say I'm not one of these people that's kind of like, oh, well, skin color doesn't matter. Because if you're in America, skin color matters. Like it's part of who we are. This has been part of and you should embrace your culture. I will embrace mine like Kyle embraces his, like Tom should embrace his, like Tom's wife should embrace hers. Like there's all different colors that come with cultures. And what you should do is celebrate that. However, to exclude someone from it because they don't have the right makeup for that actual song or that genre is absolutely ridiculous. It's the same thing as much as I can't stand that little boy when, as we just talked about, when Lil Nas X tried to say, oh, I'm doing country stuff. And the country artists were like, no, you're not. And actually he wasn't. But that's another that's another argument. And then everyone made it a racial issue. And it's like, oh, you just don't want the black guy in the white genre. We're doing the same thing with roles reverse. You can recognize that the R&B genre was built and based off of black styles and respect that culture. However, that doesn't mean that we exclude those who were of different cultures who helped build it. How many songs Diane Warren penned? That later white. And that's a big part of the culture. So why are you going to erase and take that away just so you can get some woke likes on Twitter and you don't know what you're talking about? You can respect, and as long as these artists come into my genre that I love and grew up on and respect it, we good. If you come on up in here trying to get some quick sales and some trap beats and ride away, get out. Robin Thicke has always been respectable of R&B, even more respectable than some black artists. So don't come for him. That's my point. Well, regardless of that, Kyle, I mean, we have lost, you know, just for example, Luther Vandross. We've lost Gerald Levert, Aaliyah. I mean, for someone to think that one artist, you know, could tear down individually and to take that comment seriously, come on, guys. I mean, it was meant as a joke, maybe a dumb joke, but for someone to take it seriously and really take it there that we're having to discuss this right now, that's crazy to me. Yep, exactly. But let me ask you guys this. As we continue this conversation, The Bonfire, another white artist, new artist at that, and uh, I actually asked a question to you guys. I actually asked the public first, but I asked um, because she has two hits on Urban AC. She had Automatic last year, and now she has You Say with Black. She has two hits on Urban AC, yet it doesn't seem like people know who she is. And she doesn't seem to really have an established fan base, which is weird because she's gotten more radio play than a lot of R&B artists you know, from that same generation who are mostly known on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. Why is that? What's going on with the bonfire? Because you just answered your own question. Mostly known on the internet. I think that that's just the way. Like, she does not have... I like bonfire, but I don't know that she has that social media push behind her that other artists have. I think back to Snow Allegra. And she's another artist that has caught a lot of um, positive momentum in recent years, in recent months. But when, um, what's the girl, Kay Michelle was tweeting about how she couldn't get with any current artists because they sounded too sleepy. I was on Twitter when all this was happening. There was a fan that was like, oh, you should check out Snow Allegra. And she was like, I've never heard of this person. I'll check her out. I'm like, how you don't know who Snow Allegra is? 
I think that public that even when it comes to artists in the industry and fans likewise, if you aren't popping on social media, if they aren't blowing you up on Twitter, if you don't have all these followers or you're not trending, you're just doing yourself a disservice because that's the promotional tool. I just don't see Bonfire out there, even if she's doing well on radio. I don't see her on social like that. And I think that's what's missing. I think we talked about it when you know, when she was originally blowing up with her single automatic and um it was a weird trend we noticed last year between her and Nicole Buss, right? To me they were the same situation. You know, LA Reed pushed Bonfire just to radio and and you know, spent their budget there, which is an old school way of doing things. And he's an old school dude. You know, he had success in the early nineties and throughout the years, but like that's that's kind of an outdated way, in my opinion, of, of pushing a single, you know, pushing an artist and getting them exposure. So what we had is is a few different artists who, you know, had hit singles, but no one really knew who they were. And um, that was a weird thing to me. I mean, I think the the hope was that, you know, if their if their single blew up on Urban AC, they, you know, just automatically become a household name. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Now, mind mm-hmm. you. This is not to say these are both dope artists. I mean, Nicole Buss and, and, and the Bonfire, who I'm just named, but like it's kind of an out, in my opinion, an outdated way of doing things. You know, you got them hit singles, but like you said, Kyle, we still don't really know who these artists are. Yeah. yeah. So, man. And then, Tom, the other thing on social media was that, you know, I had asked the people about the bonfire and I got a couple of different responses. One was that her voice is not very distinguishable, so it kind of fits into like it could, people would think it's like various people, which I could see cuz her voice it doesn't necessarily stand out. Um the other thing people said, which was interesting, and I think we kind of touched on it earlier, people feel like this whole blue-eyed soul thing is played out and the and people aren't paying attention to that anymore because they've realized that there's more talented artists that come from black artists. So there's no, there's no cool factor with blue eyed. soul anymore, do you guys agree with that one? Well, I just went on a rant for like 25 minutes on this. I don't want to <laughs> restate everything. I just said. I don't buy it. I mean, I think people who are saying that are just making excuses and being stupid because what the fact of the matter is you can barely sing these days and you will get hype as long as you got a gimmick. If she had a gimmick, she'd be fine. Can I just say that? that I, please stop using the term blue-eyed soul because to me that's just a cop-out for what you're really talking about. That was a term that was started in the in the middle of the last century when you know white artists would start making R&B music because it, it had never been done before. But if you're using that term today, I mean, the music is the same. If you don't look at the skin color, it's the same R&B music. That's just, it doesn't apply. So please, just stop using that term. Yeah, I honestly have always been kind of against the term because it it just always felt, and even though I don't think that it was started out it's kind of like a negative connotation, there's a stigma to it. Like, it's like, oh, this it's that. Like, it's not real. It's like a subgenre in itself. And that's not it. Like, it's you're characterizing a group of people, not a genre. So that's why I think it's a misused term. I'm not a fan of it. I I was never down with it, but 
Look, y'all, just support strong, good music and support artists who support the genre. That is the point I want to make here. If if Bonfire is helping to keep R&B alive, roll with her. If Miley Cyrus is out here acting like a clown and pretending that she's down with a genre that she's not, throw that heifer in the trash. Like, that's all I'm saying. And that's what we need to be focusing on. Well, and then here's the other thing, right, is, you know, I, I saw a tweet from someone that said the bonfire started out as a pop artist and now she's using R&B to gain traction. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but for me, because I look at Justin Timberlake as an example, as long as they come into the genre and show respect and acknowledge the greats, I'm okay with that. That's what Bruno Mars did. Well, first of all, most people throw around that pop term and don't know what they're talking about. Because I don't hear anybody saying, oh, Michael Jackson started out as a pop artist. We can't have him. We pick and choose. Janet did pop. Beyonce's doing pop. Like, don't We pick and choose. Like That's why I don't like going back to that pop versus R&B connotation. Because half the time, people just use it to just twist it to make their points. I never heard, most of the time... Prince didn't even make R&B, but we sure claim him. He did much more pop than R&B. So, what's the difference? If I don't care that Bonfire did a few pop records. I don't care if Justin Timberlake started out in a boy band. Like, they gave us good, strong R&B, so I celebrate that. But no, yeah, you're absolutely right. And actually, I never heard those Bonfire records from before. Kyle, have you heard those? No, I mean, the only thing I've heard is her first EP, which had some pop elements to it. It was sort of like in that first Ariana Grande album vibe. But, you know, clearly now, with the success of Automatic, I think we're going to see, you know, more urban-sounding records. The problem is they just try to put everyone in a box based on their skin color, which is unfortunate. The same thing happens for black artists. Every black artist is R&B automatically, which which sucks. It's not the case. Every white artist is automatically pop. Oh, no, they're trying to R&B. They're not an R&B artist. They're white. It's just like some stupid stigmas we're stuck in, and it doesn't make any sense, and I just hope it will change soon. Right. (laughs) So I guess now we're supposed to talk about the Grammys and the award winners from last week, and first and foremost, congratulations to anybody that won but Ed. I'm pretty sure if we talk about this, this podcast is over. Because we're just going to complain about everything. So can we just end this podcast right now? It's, it, this episode is gone. Like, we just off the rails, dog. All right. So, Ed, what is going on with Soul and Stereo? We talked about the K. Michelle review. That's up. We Yeah, we talked about the K. Michelle review. And we hopefully will have, like, by the time this posts, a new edition of Love Letters. And, and... We've got a new feature rolling out on Soul and Stereo pretty soon. I'm not going to de- unveil the details yet. It's going to be a new feature, new column that's going to bring in some super fans to talk about some things and to go head-to-head with your boy. Hopefully, I'll get both of you on to talk about maybe music and Brandy and or Ashanti at some point. But I don't want to give mm. too many details about that yet. But cool stuff coming up. Check out the site. Wow. And Tom, what's going on with you know I got soul? Uh, before I mention that, Ed, could you cross promote your own show with your wife once again? Oh yeah, thanks for the shout out because I almost forgot. Um, check out on Facebook for those of you who still use Facebook for something other than to yell at your um, politically incorrect in laws. 
Check out Facebook. Go into the search bar. Put in Party of Two. It's me and my lovely wife each Sunday at 5 p.m. Central. That's 6 Eastern. And we talk about relationship stuff. We talk about family stuff. We talk about life stuff. And it's just us hanging out with our viewers. And actually, the viewership has been growing pretty steadily each week. So shout out to Tom for bringing that up. Tom and his wife always tune in. Kyle, we need to get you in on that love. And thanks everybody just tuning in. Party of Two is actually kind of popping right now. We're excited. Yeah, it's an awesome show. And Kyle, from what you've told us in the past, I think a bunch of your friends probably need to tune into the show. So good, good to Lord, yes. start sharing that link. <laughs> <laughs> there you yes. have it. So I think that's it for this week's podcast, guys. That's about it. All right, then. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. We out.